Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out Toronto today. Really great to have you with us. October the 4th on a Tuesday. Daniel Carcillo played in the NHL for over a decade. Two Stanley Cups. Bit of a tough guy. Bit of a bully on the ice. He'd be the first to tell you that. And he entered hockey in a very toxic time and a toxic environment. So he talks about where Hockey Canada needs to go, where we need to go as a culture. And it isn't lost on Daniel that what are the first four letters in the word culture? Cult. That's what he thinks hockey is at times. Certain organizations. He loves the sport but can't get out of his mind. And more of us are getting like that where we can't separate the sport from the institutions that are failing us, that need to do better as collectives to help the individuals that prop them up. We want to believe in things, but if you don't get that energy and that give back, it's hard to keep putting emotion into something you believe in when people are failing you in return. So this conversation, long one, and uh, goes a lot of places with Daniel Carcillo right now on Toronto Today. Yeah, there's definitely the old white boys club that still wants to hang on and be in charge. They're not willing to give up the reins quite yet. I think that's why legislation, bringing forward, like suing people, to be quite honest, mm-hmm. is and organizations is, is the necessary step. And you... You have to force them to do something because everybody knows now. I've been saying this for years, right? And everybody was kind of calling me crazy. Um, But that's the way it is. There's nothing that can get done. Just look at what Sheldon Kennedy's been doing, right? Not to say his approach was wrong. He was trying to fix it from the inside. But I knew from very, very early on, whether it's the concussion stuff or whether it's this abuse, dealing with hockey people, if it's not their idea and if it doesn't benefit them financially, this is a big business. And if there's liability associated, they will not do anything. So you have to, again, introduce legal action that will force their hand. And I think the solution is, I think one of the board members or the chair of the board stepped down, which is probably a selfish move because he knows or she knows what's, what's coming as far as liability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these skeletons will continue to be revealed. It's not. It's definitely not done yet by any means, right? There's going to be more um, kind of cringeworthy stories that are going to come out. It, like Kyle Beach was about a year ago, and we all looked at that and thought, well, that'll be the tipping point. And to be honest, before you even played in the OHL and, uh, and when I'm sitting there, you know, uh, in my mid-20s, the Sheldon Kennedy stuff with Graham James comes out, and you're like, Okay, well, this will this will fix things and things have they've never tangentially or exponentially improved. It has to be a better culture than it was 30 years ago, but it moves so slowly compared to every other single sport that I'll tell you, like people used to used to call me on the air and they'd say, you know what? There will be openly gay players in the NHL soon. And I'm like, this will be the last sport and the last league this happens in. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. But this will be the last sport and the last league that will be openly accepting of anybody and anything that's different than what they know. Yeah. It's a league that is steeped in masculinity, which it has to be. You have to be. It's it's a hard sport to mm-hmm. play. You are going to get hurt. You are going to suffer. The thing that I didn't get when it was happening to me back in 2002, 2003 – was number one, why would you 
want to do this to your teammates? How does this bring us closer together? And to your comment about you have to think it's better, well, the St. Mike story is what triggered me to go public with everything because I had, you know, close to an emotional breakdown because I thought I'd dealt with that. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, stories like that can trigger you. So it's still happening. The only takeaway that I think or solace that people can take is everything's so public now that guys are probably and teams are probably too scared to even do it anymore because now mm-hmm. everybody has this encyclopedia in their hand and everybody has an opinion, even if they didn't earn it and, and they can expose people. So that's a good thing, but it's still happening for sure. It's, it's still happening. It's so culturally ingrained uh, and it's so systemic that unfortunately it'll, it'll probably continue to happen in, unless there's some serious parameters put in place like anonymity for reporting and, and third party organizations that are operating outside of hockey Canada and, and hockey in general and the CHL and these leagues that mm-hmm. can come in and, and clean it up. Dan Carcillo is our guest on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. Um, can it split a, a locker room, not even at the junior level, but at the NHL level when you, you know, you know, someone is just going to be, uh, uh you know, there's people that are going to do the right things and people that are going to do the wrong things. Can it split a room if, and I bring up that based on what happened in what allegedly happened in London in, in 20, in 2018. And I look and I go to 2019 and I go, there must be teammates horrified, disgusted, grossed out. And yet, like you said, and I, and and I'm implying they know not to rock. It's a big boat and they decide why rock it. Why would I be the one? No one else will do it. Um, Maybe I stand alone. If I, if I, try and break something up or I say something or I stand up in the dressing room and I say, we have to be better people off the ice. It just, it never seems to transpire that way. Yeah. It's tough at that age because number one, you're still a minor, right? Like you're, you're 17 turning 18, getting drafted to the NHL. And you know, if you say something or you go against the grain and you're perceived to be a problem, you'll never have a career you just won't and even when you're in your career and you're playing in the nhl you you know there's things there's things that happen like you, you you just you sit at the front of the bus or you pay a big tab for your rookie dinner like that's you know when you want to like compare hazing to abuse or harassment these are the types of things that are that can be normal um, <clears throat> carrying bags, right? Mm-hmm. Doing the things that earn you respect. Picking up the pucks. That stuff is okay. The other stuff just needs to be exonerated from the game and and the people in power, they need to step down or they need to be forced out. When you look at the long term, I know you're more in the, in the States than you are in Canada, but you know what it means because you grew up with it. And, and you know, in essence, if we looked, um, you know, at you without having a long term, long form conversation with you all through your time in the NHL, you're winning Stanley Cups, you're you're, you know, getting contracts, you're staying in the league uh, and making a difference to your team. You look like you're having a great time. Do we look now in retrospect in, in Canada and think, 
less kids are going to come out. Less parents are going to be trusting. They'll they'll say, Johnny, Jennifer, find another sport. Pick anything else. <laughs> Swim. And if it's a team sport, <laughs> make sure it's something that has a little more supervision. It's it's an archaic thing anyway. You know, in the States, there's almost nowhere where you get sent away and drafted. Like a GTA kid could go to Saginaw, Michigan, where I did play by play. Not bad. Not bad. Worst, you know, there's worse places. But you, you're living there at 15 and a half. You could go from the sticks and go. We'll plant you right in the, in the GTA in Oshawa or Mississauga. Like it's it's that does not usually happen in the U.S. and it sure doesn't happen in any other country for soccer or any other sport where where an, a, you can get drafted and play in an absolutely foreign environment and and somehow you're supposed to mature and evolve really quickly. I, it, it it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Big business is smart. Hockey's big business. And their marketing is amazing. It's ingrained in you in Canada that you have to play this sport. And it's a, it's a national sport. And we're family. And we take care of our own. And it hooks people from a very, very young age. Think about, like, I grew up, I was four or five Saturday nights. You know, we'd have Bob Cole on and we'd have popcorn and we'd watch Hockey Night in Canada. So you're... You know, Don Cherry, Rock'em Sock'em on VHS. Those are, for people that don't know that might be listening that are young, those are tapes that you, you know, <laughs> they're square <laughs> and that was yeah. before CDs, right? So um, <laughs> it, it's just, it gets you really, really young. And you, all your friends are playing. So if you're not playing, and even if you are playing, like I played double A and I got hazed at elementary school because I wasn't in triple A because I wasn't the best of the best, right? For So it's... um. You know, in Canada, unfortunately, there's a lot of barriers to entry. The price is absurd now. Mm -hmm. The equipment's expensive. The leagues are expensive. The time is expensive. Now you're playing 12 months on the ice. You're you're no longer playing two sports like I was, six months on the ice and, and six months actually learning how to run. I was running a gym in Chicago and these kids didn't even know how to run. Mm -hmm. right? They mm -hmm. were running like they were skating because they're constantly on the ice and that's a problem. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't see it coming back to what it was because on top of all those things that I just listed, even at four, you give your child to a coach and that room gets locked and you're at the top of the stands. You don't see what goes on there. And some of the first things that get told to us is what's said in this room stays in this room. You don't tell your parents, you don't tell your brothers, sisters, you know, this is it. This is your family now. So that breeds a really dangerous place for abuse to thrive. And on top of that, you know, like you said, it's a developmental league where they get you extremely young. You move away from home and, it's not like the NCAA. It's not like you're going no, out no. to college at, you know, 20 and you're a young man. So all of these things said, they're going to have to do a lot to, to regain the confidence of parents and registrations down big time uh, in hockey. And, and it's for a number of different reasons, but I would, I would wager a guess it's, you know, one of the bigger reasons is uh, are these stories being broken and them not doing anything about it. Do you want to love do you yourself want to love the sport, but it's just too impossible with all the all the BS like 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 I don't know how it could be broken down to 
just the basics, the joy of it, the the you know, the, no, the, like it, it's no, like it's like I the mean, Tom Cochran song. Do you want it to be that romantic? <laughs> but you know it, you know it can't be because of all the BS around it. There's a lot of romance that I still like. I love the sport. Mm -hmm. I love it. You know, I really do. Hockey's an amazing sport. Am I going to put my kid in it because I loved it? Absolutely not. Not with the state that that we're in right now. And mm -hmm. Um, the, it's the institutions, right? It's the institutions that I have a problem with. And if you're not going to hold yourself accountable, then I will. And, and other people will. And, and it just needs to happen. And listen, like I'm a very happy guy now, right? I've cured myself of all of these CBI symptoms that they lied to me about and they continue to lie to pretty much every hockey player. And, you know, like, I mean, that was the number one thing for me. And once I did that, I've forgiven them and reconciled with the deaths of a number of my friends and who had CTE. I definitely have, you know, CTE in my brain. I'm just not suffering from these symptoms. And if I continue to do these health and wellness things for the rest of my life, I don't think that I'm going to get dementia or Alzheimer's. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the sport, but that doesn't, that doesn't ever mean that I'm going to, stop you know people are in positions of power and that's one thing that just go watch me play hockey right like if somebody took a run at someone like who was there to sacrifice their body and their mind for that player and that was me that's just ingrained in me from a very young age whether it was because of the bullying and abuse in junior or whatnot that's that's who i am so mm -hmm. I, and this makes me happy you know, it really does. And like, I can talk about these traumas, like drinking a glass of milk now, because I've done a lot of work on myself and I continue to. I think to end on this, one, one of the things I've really admired is that you've you've sort of fought through what we call, you know, presentism, which gets pushed on politicians. It get pushed on people in the media and it probably got pushed on you a little bit where people say, hey, how can you comment on something in 2019? When you did this on the ice in 2003 or you led the league in penalty minutes, you did that or you said this. And if we don't if we, if we look back in time and thought, well, we all should just be like our fathers who all should be like their fathers, who are, like a lot of a lot of our evolution would never have happened. At some point, men said, you know what? Um, women should be able to vote at some point. White people said, you know what? People that don't look like us should be able to like we should be able to marry who we want to marry, like all that crap you like you had to push through some of that i think because people said why is he an authority on this you, you really did and you're here now still talking about it and making a difference you are yeah i i mean I, i'm i i wouldn't consider like i never tried to be an authority on it i just tried to speak from my experience and my experience was that i was groomed to be an absolute savage and i was fucking great at it i was really good at it you know and but that's what I've trained for. That's what this sport trains you for. That's what this culture trains. It's cult. It's a cult. Just like it's very, very similar to the army. And that's what people don't realize, but they don't realize that because of the messaging, of the marketing. We're family. We're this. We're that. We're in the community. Hockeyville. We, we donate. You know, so um, from that standpoint, we were all lied to. These guys continue to get information withheld from them in the NHL. They're the last league on earth 
that admits a link between repetitive head trauma and neurodegenerative disease. Everybody else has admitted it. So they're not getting the right information to this day. And it is dangerous. So I also know that there's ways to get things done. Like for, for someone to enact change with big business or like go after big tobacco or go after, you know, big pharma, if they don't like, that's not the way you do it. You just mm-hmm. go straight to the people, right? And these guys all follow me. So mm-hmm. they know where they can get this information. They know that, you know, my information isn't biased. I just represent and present the latest scientific research from the leading voices. And, and then I also expose how like every team in the NHL, or at least most teams, the doctors that work for the teams are from the hospital systems that sponsor the teams. <laughs> it's like, it is the most crooked thing on earth. And that still hasn't changed. Like, I just haven't had the time lately to um, kind of like continue down that path because I've been creating mm-hmm. good, right? I've been, I've been, I've been making a drug through the FDA, and and I've been, I'm just like, hey, I'm gonna stop with like kind of spending all my days negatively highlighting them. I'll get back to it. I'll continue to kind of, you know, sprinkle the infield but I'm going to create good and in creating good, it'll, it'll shine a really bad light on them because they're continuing to deny. Yeah. You know, I thought about, as you were saying that I thought about the, um, the, the two is injury the other night with the dolphins. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I thought, and I talked about it the next morning, I said, here's where the NFL, at least there's some progress because this is one glaring injury. It looks like something was missed the week before, but it is a vicious, you know, car crash game like the sport of hockey, but that kind of hit and that kind of, ah, should we put him back in? That happens 10 times a year in the regular season across the league. And it happens 30 times a year, as you know, in the playoffs where guys are going to push through, lie on a test, the trainer, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, gets him right back out there. I mean, you know, Aaron Ward famously told a story about how he was concussed the entire morning of game seven against Edmonton in 2006. And he played and a a second hit and he's not Aaron Ward anymore. So this, like, I I just, I, at least there was such public outrage from millions of people who saw that Thursday night, but I don't see that in NHL games very often. We just accept it and it's can't, can't anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like, so what happened to him is awful. The, there were mistakes made. That's apparent. They fired that third party doctor or neurologist whatever he was and they've tried to rectify that and now they're holding him out i saw an announcement today as they should right there you need time um most brain injuries heal 80 percent of people heal on their own uh with time right you don't sit in the dark room you do like vestibular exercises ocular training there's ways to train your brain to wake up the affected part of your brain that was shut down due to this trauma his mainly was the brain stem both hits were the were the back of the head with little to no protection on the brain stem to the turf and and so I hesitate to say it's a good thing but it's a good thing that like it happened on such a national stage because you saw like when I was doing this four or five years ago, when I started, well, dude, I started this eight years ago, like going really hard at advocacy in 2015, mm-hmm. you were maybe getting like a couple hundred likes. Then it was like a couple thousand. Now it's hundreds of thousands, right? So like 
more people are aware of it. More people want to see it change. And more people, I think, realize just how dangerous it can be. Because unfortunately, what you just said, like Aaron Ward, he's not Aaron Ward. I guarantee you, if you talk to him today and had an honest conversation with him and you talk to most retired NHL players, they're not who they were when they first started playing the sport. Uh, luckily, you know, you can get to a point where like the medicine that I'm doing flushes inflammation, right? Like a, a neurological insult creates inflammation. So if you can, if you can manage that on a daily basis, you do have the ability to cure yourself and I'm a living walking testament to it. And so from that standpoint, like if there are guys out there suffering, there is hope. There are treatments that you can do. Um, but yeah, I mean, not a lot of guys leave these collision sports unscathed. That's for sure. Yeah. And when they do retire at 27, 28, we say, what's wrong with it? We should be saying what's right with them. They made their money. They, they know when to get up from the blackjack table and get out. They just, they want out. They want to do something in their thirties and, uh, and certainly their forties and fifties. Um, when but it's like, yeah, it, it can get better too, right? Like yeah. it's a heterogeneous disease, meaning there's a population that's 30% more susceptible to these injuries. I know that these tests can get more sensitive on the front end to identify that 30%. So at least you're, you're monitoring them a little closer. And I also know for the other 70%, there's, there's really good tests out there that are much more sensitive, but I think the reality is like when you have a guy that's in such a big market that goes down like that, you kind of like, there's a lot of interests that want him to get back. And then the athlete wants to get back in. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think, I think the testing, the diagnostics have to change. There's a guy by the name of McCrory who was the head of the concussion, um, the concussion symposium. So it's the symposium held every four to six years by like four doctors (laughs) who make this consensus statement and some of the consensus statements state like what you saw with two is first injury. If somebody has motor issues and like gets up and stump, it's a clear sign. It's a universal clear sign. He has a brain injury. And then the posturing that you saw with his fingers, that's a clear sign that he right. has a brain injury. Um, this guy McCrory, who is the head of it is being sued for fraud. And because again, like, the, the fraud and the the lies and how they're all of these guys are tied into professional sports and have been for years goes all the way to the top, man. So like that needs to get cleaned out too. It's like, um, and it will eventually. Right. And um, I am freeing up some of my time now to get back into advocacy, both for, you know, like psychedelic medicines and, and back to TBI. Cause this is the kind of stuff that, that I really love. I love telling people the truth of, of the reality of the situation that we're in and, and then how to change it, you know? But you're, you're 37 now. You, when you, when you left the NHL, you were 32. Can you even put into words how much easier it is to wake up in the morning than it was a half decade ago for oh, you? Yeah, and, and get through was, a day, yeah. night and day. I was, yeah, I was 30. I was 30. I was 29 30. turning th- 30. Yeah, um, you're right. 30. Okay. And uh, first five years was, was a living hell, right? It's um, just filled with anger, frustration, sadness. When you go look at and listen to my earlier interviews, you can see that I want to tear the whole thing down, right? And the message sometimes gets lost when you're when you're speaking like that. But I was just, 
I was in mourning. Was know? that because you want wa you wanted more years? You wanted one more year, two more years. No, man. No, no, no. It had you wanted out. To do. But you're no, angry because yeah, well, you want out. No, I was angry because my friends are dead, right? And it almost killed me. And right. I had to figure it out on my own. I had to spend my own money, hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to figure it out. And when all of the accepted medical treatments didn't work, then then I opted for these alternative medicines, which are, you know, aren't going to be alternative and on the fringe for very much longer. So um, that's why I was mad. Right. And like, and, you know, I just, when you're speaking from a place where you're very angry and you're very frustrated and sad, the message gets lost. So I knew at some point it was probably four years in where I'm like, man, I just got to like stop. And I have to step away and I got to get better. And thank God I did. You know, like I really do believe I am here for this reason, right? I was, mm -hmm. I'm here to go through all of that and then get better and, and to hopefully pass this message along and, and get other people better. And um, that's the path I'm on now. That's the path I've been on for well over three and a half, almost four years. And yeah, I mean, I can't wait to wake up now. Um, I can't wait to be around my kids, you know, and I'm like completely present and I'm enjoying them. I'm enjoying life. Um, but I also enjoy the fight, you know, like I, uh, I, I love it. I, yeah. I you want to make it. a difference, but, but it is, yeah. you're right. Like if the, la the last two and a half years told me it's exhausting being negative. If I feel I've just, you know, why are we doing this? Why did we do this? too much of that i you know i was feeling that at the end of last calendar year and then we went into lockdown again in january of this year and i'm like no <laughs> yeah. no 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 like i can't there's not a day i can't i can't watch my kid put on a mask again uh to yeah. go catch the bus i can't do any of this stuff anymore so but it it wears you out and there's this all of this is yeah it, you know it's the mental health crisis of of the next 50 years is how we all That's... get over the last two or three years see like i tell people to like one of the amazing things that COVID did was shine a light into how just dysfunctional we are yeah. as a society and like how uncomfortable we are being alone and being isolated. And if that's a pro like the problem that I see right now in society is we have so much stimulation around us, computers, TVs, these phones, we're basically cyborgs with this phone always attached to us. That's a problem. And it got, it exposed us that that got exposed during during, like, I'll be honest with you, man. The last two and a half years, like, even through COVID, I've never been happier. Like, I've, and I've never been more productive, you know, like, it was like, it was amazing mm -hmm. for me, you know. Um, and your and, kids are small enough, you didn't feel like, like, mine are now 16 dude, and 14. So I worry yeah. they were missing things. And oh, they man, did like, miss my things. kids, my kids, my kids are seven, five, and four. My right. oldest and my youngest, they were going to a farm school in Illinois. My, my oldest missed almost two years of school. I was doing virtual learning. So like right now we're trying to catch him up. 100%. I can be upset about that. Yeah. I can be, but I'm just like, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm just going to do the things necessary. These kids learn so fast. I've been reading with them. I've been going over stuff and you know, I'm, I know I don't, I dwelled on that kind of stuff for such a long time. And I know where, like where it got me. And now that I don't, I don't negatively talk to myself to motivate myself. I, you know, all of that's changed with the help of some very specific tools that I use. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, I, it's, I've never, 
I've never felt better. And I want that for other people too. Like I see the angst, I see the, all the depression, all the anxiety. And, um, you know, I, you know, hopefully there's new medicines that are coming through the FDA that are going to change the world. They really are in the next three, four years, man, these, these medicines are going to completely revolutionize our lives for sure. I'm glad you weighed in on all this stuff with me. Daniel Carcillo is the founder and CEO of Wasana Health. You can go to wasanahealth.com, find out more about what he got involved in, what's made a difference. Uh, and he, of course, a former NHL or two-time Stanley Cup champion. Thanks for making time for us up here in Toronto. I really do appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Shout out to King City, Ontario, where I grew up. <laughs> where I've been in lots of traffic jams. Uh, oh, man. The, yeah. the traffic yeah. piles up.